Stay hungry, stay foolish. A mind that is stretched to a new idea never returns to its original dimension. This episode aims to introduce practical instruction for mastering the wheel of awareness, a life-changing tool for cultivating more focus, presence, and peace in our lives. We will explore the science that underlies meditation's effectiveness, how to harness the power of the principle where attention goes, neural firing flows, and neural connection grows, how developing a wheel of awareness practice to focus attention, open awareness, and cultivate kind intention can help us grow a healthier brain and reduce fear, anxiety, and stress in our lives. Whether we have no experience with a reflective practice or are an experienced practitioner, we are going to explore this hands-on guide that will enable us to become more focused and present, as well as more energized and emotionally resilient. Our guest is author of four New York Times bestsellers. His books include The Developing Mind, Parenting from the Inside Out, The Mindful Brain, Mindsight, The Mindful Therapist, A Pocket Guide to Interpersonal Neurobiology, The Whole Brain Child, Brainstorm, No Drama Discipline, Mind, The Yes Brain, and the focus of today's episode, Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence, a complete guide to the groundbreaking Wheel of Awareness meditation practice. We welcome Dr. Daniel Siegel. Aiden, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You're a one-man cross-disciplinary team. That's the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing I got from reading your work and your back catalogue and the many, many TED Talks and features that you've done all over YouTube, etc. It's, it's a fascinating background, and I'd love to share that first with our audience. Sure. Well, first of all, it's an honor to be here with you, Aidan, and it's always great to connect with Ireland. You know, my dear friend, John O'Donohue, uh, John O'Donohue in America, we call him. Uh, you know. <laughs> Good pronunciation, man. <laughs> You've obviously spent time here. Uh, yeah, and I've been corrected uh, <laughs> to say his name properly. Um, you know, we had such a grand time there in Ennis Diamond just this summer, really celebrating with the president of Ireland and all sorts of wonderful, wonderful people from John O'Donohue's life. So it's always great to be back with an Irish connection. And, you know, I think what John and I used to work on was this bridge between spirituality and science. And John himself, you know, as a former Catholic priest and a poet and a mystic and a you know, philosopher, uh, he himself was a one-man uh, transdisciplinary field, uh, and so when the two of us were together, it was it was quite a fun joining of minds. And his new book, uh, Pastures of Wonder, the interviews with John Quinn, the wonderful radio icon you have in Ireland, is just a fantastic new book that people can dive into John's life. So I come from a field where we blend all the sciences into one perspective and ask, you know, questions like. What is the mind? What's a healthy mind? And how can we cultivate that? And that's what the Aware book is really all about, is something very practical, but that's built on some pretty extensive scientific synthesis that extends beyond just science and into all sorts of things like parenting and education and what we do just with our personal understanding of what it means here to be a person on the planet. Yeah, and I love the cross-disciplinary thing. And it's something we talk often about on the show that so many of us, because of the education system the way it is, we're trained in these swim lanes and we don't cross the lanes. And it's in the crossing and the linking 
that the magic can come. And you did a fantastic, one of your many TED Talks in Prague. And I thought it was fascinating the way you explored linkages and connecting the dots. And you shared this story about two things you were studying in the evening and the day job, one being salmon and the other being suicide. I know, you know, it's, it's amazing you bring that up because it was a cultural moment, really. I told that story and and like people were cracking up and I got so confused why they would laugh talking about suicide. And what happened was apparently, you know, there's been so much trauma there uh, in the Czech Republic and in Prague in particular. And so one just way of adapting to some very serious things is just to laugh. But it really threw me, <laughs> that, that discussion. But the, the story really was given to talk about during the day I was studying um, fish and looking for the, the molecule, the enzyme that would help them go from their hatching in freshwater to being able to survive in saltwater. And we were in pursuit of this enzyme and actually found it uh, to help us understand how the fish could change its body composition. But then at night I was working on a suicide prevention service and there I was uh, really focusing on how the communication between one person to another, the, the person on the suicide prevention service line and the person in a crisis could make the difference of, between life and death. And so just like an enzyme could save a fish, uh, you know, an emotional connection could save a human. And I was really always interested in how the subjective experience of feeling felt, of feeling understood, of feeling connected in a very brief encounter with someone on the phone could actually save their life. And that sort of set my whole path, I think, uh, as a young student to, to really asking, what is the common ground between our subjective life and our sort of physiological molecular life? Um, and that's everything I've been doing basically has been exploring that question in all its different dimensions. And uh, the wheel of awareness is a practice that actually helps you just continue that issue. Like what is exactly going on that we can use our mind to change the structure of our brains? You know, what is this mind thing that we have? It was interesting you say about the laughter because I was watching that and the camera's only on you. So I felt I missed something when I heard the laughter and you didn't break a stride, of course, because you're so used to speaking this way. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And then I presumed something happened in the back of the room and you just ignored it and kept going because it's interesting. That's actually what happens. And I'll share the link to that talk as well. well. That's that's so interesting. You noted that because inside of me, it felt like forever because I went, oh my God, what just happened? Why are they laughing when I'm talking about people killing themselves? And I mean, the backstory I found out later, and it, it's complicated because in that talk, they forgot to put a clock on. And in the TED Talks, TEDx Talks, you know, you have to be very punctual. And I didn't have a watch, so I had no idea how, how, when I, if I was getting close to my 18 minutes or not. So I was going like, oh my God, they're laughing at death. And I found out what had happened was that, auditorium we were in was a basketball court underneath a highway and it was the major place where people would jump off the highway onto the top of the building to kill themselves wow and i had no idea that suicide was literally happening on top of that structure we were on it's so commonplace which is the tragic thing that had gone so far that people have come desensitized that they can laugh about it which is a sad indictment of our times it was, but it yeah. leads nicely though to the beauty of what you've created here. And 
I suppose one of the reasons I brought up that about the salmon and the stream is the idea you talk about of integration, because that's what you were introducing there, the process of integration. It's a key cornerstone I felt from reading your work is this idea of integrating your brain. And I'd love to share that process with our audience, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it, is the, it is the cornerstone of a lot of things. And integration, let's just start with the word, is a simple word we use in everyday language. And what it implies from a, 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 a point of view of a principle is that different things like you and me in, a, in, a, in a, com- a communication, we can be different from each other. So differentiation is the word that's used for the process of allowing things to be unique or special, individualized really, so that we have this individual development and function that we can have as two people in a relationship or in the brain, two different areas of the brain, for example. So we call that differentiation. Some people would call it segregation uh, in the neuroscience literature, that's what it's called. Then you have the linkage part of integration. So integration is defined as the linkage or connecting of differentiated parts. Uh, So the way we're using the word integration here is the overall balance of differentiation and linkage. Now, when you look at it that way, what's really interesting is that integration, as we're defining it, the balance of differentiation and linkage, looks like it's the basis of well-being. And that's whether you look at the brain in your head or the brain in your head's connection with the overall body, or you're looking at two people in a relationship or people in a family or a, a classroom or a school or a community or a, a nation or even the planet. It's so interesting when you're, you're integrating a, a system like that, you're cultivating a harmonious flow that has this flexibility and adaptability that I think would meet the criteria for what many people would call health. And then when you're not in that flow of integration, either you're blocking differentiation or blocking linkage or both, then what happens is you move to off the flow of this harmony and into the bank of either rigidity or the bank of chaos. And that explains a lot of human suffering and even suffering on our ecological planet, where chaos and rigidity are coming because of impaired integration. So it's a really simple model. You know, it became really clear to me in the early 90s that this might be a useful, you know, model that comes from mathematics, but that uh, would apply to all sorts of things in biology or psychology or, you know, culture and, you know, anthropology. So I tried it out in different ways and it turned out to be really a very practical concept that could drive things you would do, like, you know, the wheel of awareness, for example, completely came from combining the idea that integration is health and consciousness seems to be needed for intentional positive change in life. So what would happen if you integrated consciousness? And, you know, we can talk more about that. But basically, yes, you're absolutely right. Integration is at the heart of all these different things. And once you start, you know, wrestling with that and seeing how it fits in your life, it's amazing how useful it is. And it's just one word thing you need to remember. Oh, yeah, integration. And everything seems to stem from that. I love the idea of integrating chaos and rigidity. And you talk also then about almost like mastering your left and right brain because they have different functions. 
that they are capable of operating separately, but when you actually integrate them, when they're actually working together, and you, you mentioned the metaphor of an integrated flow of harmony, just like a choir where everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet, even though they have different tones, etc., that they come across in harmony. It got me thinking that what is the default mode that we're born with? If there's no impairment, what are we born with? Because what seems to happen is that life pulls us apart and puts us in, in different pigeonholes and goes, you're a creative person. No, you're more logic brained. And we don't seem to have a methodology or a process to bring that back together. Or else, as you mentioned, somebody who may be on the autism spectrum disorder or somebody who has had brain damage or somebody who has been abused as a child, that they kind of get pulled apart and left that way. Yeah, that's right. And you want to have it, uh, life be much more fluid and flexible than that. You know, we, we, we can change and evolve and we don't want to be pigeonholed into just one thing, one way of being, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I remember in Anna Steinman, you know, to illustrate the, the, the choir example you're giving, you know, I just said to people, hey, does anybody sing? And before you know it, it's wonderful. Uh, Irish countrymen of yours were up there and, you know, you do this example where they sing the same note the same way. So it's no differentiation. It's just kind of raw. That's kind of, that's the rigidity example. Then you have them close their ears and belt out whatever song individually they choose. It sounds chaos. It's cacophony. But then you say to them, okay, well, just, you know, sing a song together. And that's all. And you back away. And this natural, what's called self-organization blends differentiation linkage and they came up and they sang this unbelievable version of Danny Boy, you know, and, um, if you can imagine, I might remember how many it was over, over 20 people up there just singing Danny Boy, you know, with John, you know, O'Donoghue in mind and, oh, it was just, just exquisite. But you could feel chills, you know, of incredible harmony. You could feel the linkage and differentiation that was there. And, you know, in terms of whatever anyone is facing, you know, we all come with different stuff in life. So what you really want to do is have a way to really accept what is and then see how it can be integrated into the flow of a larger life you know, for any of us, you know, whatever, whether we have autism or have a cycling mood disorder or, you know, all sorts of things that life just may have dished out for us, that's what it is. But now you can take that and put it into this more integrative flow. Going back to your multidisciplinary skills, one of the things you did, which which remarkably didn't seem to have been done at the time, was look at the imbalance between the chaos and rigidity and and then cross-reference that with medical journals to see that almost every mental imbalance is rooted in the imbalance of these two forces, chaos and rigidity. You know, I think it's chaos and rigidity are interesting in a way outcomes when you haven't balanced the linkage and differentiation. So I would kind of think of it a little bit like that, but it is certainly where in life, Sometimes you move a little bit towards the chaos, sometimes towards the rigidity. And I think the cause of if you get stuck is if you haven't balanced this um, uh, linkage and differentiation process. So this leads nicely to 
the benefits before we go into talking about the wheel of awareness and, and share the practice. It'd be great to share some of the benefits because really, really amazingly, by working on this, we can totally change the shape of our brains, reverse aging, and there's so many many more benefits. It'd be great if you'd share them with our audience, Dan. Yeah, you know, Aiden, this is <laughs> it's an amazing moment, you know, in science because the the wheel of awareness has three aspects to it that um, in other studies have been very meticulously researched, and they are developing focused attention. That's a first pillar. Developing open awareness, that's the second pillar, and developing what I call kind intention, what other people might call compassion or loving kindness, the third pillar, kind intention. So you're taking three aspects of the mind, attention, awareness, and intention, and you're very systematically strengthening each of them or you know, training them. You're training attention to be focused, awareness to be open, and intention to be kind. And when you take this three-pillar training and say, well, what does the research show that it does? What you show is exactly what you're saying. It, it reduces stress. It improves the immune system. It optimizes your cardiovascular system's functioning. It allows you to um, actually reduce inflammation by changing the way genes are expressed. These are called epigenetic regulators that are modified. And as you point out, it slows the aging process by a number of mechanisms, but one of them is by optimizing an enzyme called telomerase that repairs and maintains the ends of your chromosomes where all your, your genetic material rests. And this is really an amazing finding. And when I turned the manuscript in uh, for reviewers to read, make sure I had, you know, the scientists could read it. One of the scientists wrote me back and said, Dan, this is all great, but you left something out. And I thought, oh my God, I don't want have to add more, but so I said to her, I said, what did I leave out? And this is Alyssa Apple who wrote this beautiful book called The Telomere Effect with her colleague, Elizabeth Blackburn, who had won the Nobel Prize for discovering this telomere system. The ends of your chromosomes are called telomeres. Anyway, she says, you need to write that it slows the aging process. You said all the other things, you got to say that. I said, can I really say that doing these three pillar practices slows the aging process? She goes, yes, that's what presence does when you're aware and present when you're open to what's happening as it's happening it actually slows the aging process so that's from the world's expert in aging so i put it in you know and that's the amazing thing now from these scientific studies we actually know that doing these three pillar practices which are all in this one practice called the wheel of awareness allow you to cultivate these molecular mechanisms of health What's fascinating there is what the biggest challenges for us in life seem to be driven from a lack of sense of balance between our authentic selves and our work selves, and then a search for meaning. And then there's a sense of this anger in the world that I really feel that this practice, the Wheel of Awareness practice, can relieve and can get people more in touch with themselves and it was one of the the ideas i got from integration was integrating your, your yourself with your authentic self so this mask that we wear in society the best foot forward kind of mentality we have with social media driven by that kind of place where we think we need to be somebody else in society and then we're we're holding back our real self and i felt that integration 
could also represent that aligning of that person, that holistic person, and bring forth more happiness as a result. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, Aiden, can you share with us what your experience was? Because you've been doing the wheel this week. That gives you that feeling that, wow, there's something really here. Because I'd, I'd love to hear directly from your first person direct experience. Yeah, so it was, it was great. I was telling you off air before we came on that I do mindfulness practice every morning before the gym. I do 10 minutes and then I, I hit the gym. And, and 10 minutes is kind of my, and you talk about this, you need a base. We don't need to start with a base and, and the wheel of awareness can be your starting point, but it's helpful to have a base. So I felt in a way that had been my baseline. And then the wheel of awareness came along and you you generously give many it's it's many places on the web a guided meditation through the wheel and the wheel itself is aware is is available online where you can actually get a visual representation of what it is which we'll talk about in, in a few minutes i hope dan and so so then so then i started using it and and what i found remarkable is it, it gives added attention so one of the problems I see from from even the stats on the show, the shows that offer solutions to focus and attention, which a lot of people seem to be suffering with due to probably technological changes, societal changes and media changes. We have shorter attention spans. So solutions to that seem to be very helpful for people or people are searching for that. And that is what I got out of it. But it went beyond that where I was telling you today, it rains quite a lot in Ireland and it was raining today and I was walking to get my lunch and I had an umbrella and I decided just to tune into listening, listening to raindrops hitting the umbrella. And it was so meditative while before I'd be walking, I'd be checking my phone, I'd be looking around, mm-hmm. I'd be thinking about where what I'm doing next. But I actually was able to be in the moment and that moment felt much longer as well. So I actually felt... Even the walk, which is only five minutes, felt like an event in my day rather than just in between events, you know, the kind of way. So that was beautiful for me. But I was telling you, as a result, I actually feel like I'm listening better to people. I'm listening with my whole body rather than just listening to respond that so many of us do in life. And I felt that by listening with your whole self, the other person feels acknowledged. And that is a great gift to give to somebody. Absolutely. And that's a, such a beautiful example of presence. You know, when we talk about that word being present or having presence, you know, and John O'Donohue used to call it the presence. Um, that's exactly, you know, what we're talking about is amazing gift that we can give our lives and, and, and each other to be present, you know, because then the rain falling and you choosing to open awareness up to the miracle that you can hear the sound on the umbrella surface, you know, it literally makes that uh, uh, an event in life, not just something, oh, I'm getting to the other place, but you're actually there for life. It was that thing of life seems to be such a rush for so many people that imagine this could give everybody the sensation of more time or being being actually present in their lives rather than being a passenger towards death. Because I feel that so many people get into a job, have children, and then it's just countdown to death instead of actually, okay, like we talked about chaos and rigidity. And, and I thought a lot about what Lao Tzu said and Carl Jung, even integrating the shadow, that 
you need contrasts in life. You need chaos to understand rigidity or you need to understand what bad is so you appreciate good. And I, I took that from your work as well, I have to say. And it's something that I, I've been teaching to my children to, to understand that things will happen in life and they're not bad things. They actually make you appreciate the good. And the knowledge that we should have is to, to overcome the bad, to get to the good, and then really be present for the good. That's the enhanced element that your work gave me. Oh, beautiful. It's such a simple practice that if it could give other people as well that perspective shift, when you started with the Oliver Wendell Holmes quote, you know, a mind stretched to a new idea does not return to its original dimension. The idea is really quite simple. The idea is that this metaphoric visual image of a wheel with the hub representing the experience of being aware. So if I say, hello, Aiden, you have both the knowing, which is awareness in the hub, but you have the known, which is the sound, hello, Aiden, that's on the rim. In this case, it would be the first segment of the rim where we would put the five senses, including hearing. So you have hearing, seeing, tasting, touching, and smelling that are on the first of four segments of the rim. Then you move this metaphoric spoke of attention uh, over to the second segment, and then you explore the interior sensations of the body, the feelings of muscles and bones and organs. And that in science, we call that the sixth sense. So that goes along with the first five, and then the sixth. And as you're exploring these two segments of the rim, you're exploring basically outer energy flow patterns and inner ones, and you're focusing attention. You're learning to train attention on one thing at a time, you know, like sound when you're focusing on hearing or light when you're focusing on sight. And so when you did the umbrella experience, you know, it's a beautiful example where it just was very natural to say, okay, let me actually differentiate one of the senses here, the sound, and suddenly it like, brightens your whole day, even as it's raining, because you're empowered to differentiate and then link that to awareness, which is in the hub. Just this visual image, even of these first two segments, lets you see that staying even at that level of just sensory input, whether it's from the outside world, the inside world, you're learning to strengthen the focus of attention, uh, which is really the first step in really strengthening the mind. And that's the first pillar of developing focused attention. Yeah, and I love how you discovered this tool. It'd be great to now launch into the Wheel of Awareness practice and how it originated as well, which is a great visual metaphor. Yeah, you know, it's quite simple. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a scientist by training and a clinician by work and an educator and what I really do these days. Um, and so, uh, you know, the science I work in, we combine all the sciences into one framework called interpersonal neurobiology. And these two Ideas seem to emerge where integration was health, that's number one, and consciousness was needed for change, that's number two, and that was studying forms of education or parenting or psychotherapy. All those ways we help people intentionally change in a positive direction seem to involve consciousness. So then it was like, okay, well, what if you combine those two general principles of life? Integration is health, consciousness needed for change. What if you integrated consciousness. So I'd invite my patients who were sitting in a chair or a couch to get up from those seated positions, come around this table that we had in the office. And it's a table with a glass center 
and a wooden rim. And when you look through the glass center, you kind of see part of the stand of the table looks like a spoke. So I just said to them, I said, let's integrate consciousness. And, you know, of course, they looked at me like I was nuts. And maybe I'm nuts, but not for that reason. And (laughs) I said, well, really, really, let's, let's try this out. Give it a try. And they go, what are you talking about? And I said, well, consciousness can be simply defined as the mind's capacity for subjective knowing and the knowns, you know? So let's put the knowing in this glass part of the table. Let's put the knowns on the wooden outside part. And no one wanted to call it the table of awareness, so the main wheel of awareness. <laughs> and uh, in this table of awareness thing, you know, we basically systematically, uh, in the mind's eye, move this singular spoke around. So we were differentiating the different rim elements from each other. So you have the you know, first five senses in the first segment, the interior sensations of the body in the second segment. Then on the third segment, you have mental activities like emotions and memories and thoughts and things like that. Explore that. You then could even explore the hub itself by bending the spoke around. And you straighten the spoke out and you move over to the fourth and final segment, which is your sense of interconnection in the world or with people and with nature. And this was really amazing that people with anxiety would feel much more peace. People with depression in mild to moderate degrees would actually feel relief from those dysphoric states. People with trauma could deal with their traumas in a more effective way. And even people you know, facing issues like um, worries about death, if they were medically ill and it was impending, you know, could find relief. Um, so I started wondering, my God, is this more than just a you know, something that I kind of think is curious, is it something that might actually be helpful? So I taught it to my students who were therapists. They found it helpful for themselves and their clients, their patients. And so then I just said, hey, you know, I'm a scientist. Let me do this as a survey systematically. And so I did it in workshops with over 10,000 people. And I recorded the results when people would take the microphone and share what it was like. And the results were incredibly similar, no matter what a person's background was, even if they had never done any reflective practice, you know, any meditation, or they were experienced meditators, or even they ran meditation centers. It was really interesting. So that led to me, you know, trying to understand what the wheel may truly be offering by integrating consciousness. And that, you know, we explore in the aware book. But even without the science, you can teach this to kids in kindergarten and they find it even as a drawing, not as a reflective practice. But just as a drawing, they find the idea that you can separate the knowing placed in this metaphoric hub of a wheel from the knowns placed on the rim. And you can be empowered to make that differentiation. That changes everything. Yeah, Dan, I'd love to share that because many, many business leaders listen to this show, but they have children and people are a little bit fearful of their children in this world because it's changing at such a rapid pace. And I love you talk about releasing this into the school system, which would be phenomenal. You do give examples such as five-year-old Billy. Would you mind sharing that little story? Because that really captures the essence of what this can do. Yeah, well, Aiden, exactly so. And this is an example of how important it is that we work together as a, as a large human family. So, um, you know, I developed the wheel practice. I also write parenting books, and we put it in a book called The Whole Brain Child with my student, now colleague, Tina Payne Bryson. Parents and teachers use that book. And so I got an email one day from Miss Smith, and she says, 
you know, I teach the wheel of awareness to all my kids and a new student was transferred to my kindergarten class. He's five years old. He was kicked out of his other school for beating up a child on the yard. And he came to my school, like all the other kids, I teach all the kids, the wheel, he learns it as a drawing, you know, the knowing of awareness is in the hub, the things you know are on the rim. And the next day she writes to me in the email, he comes into her at recess during their break and says, you know, Miss Smith, Miss Smith, you've got to give me a break. I'm out on the yard and Joey took my blocks. I'm about to hit him. And so you need to give me a break because I'm lost on my rim. I got to get back to my hub. Phenomenal. Five-year-old, five-year-old yeah. child. Five-year-old, five-year-old child. And I said, well, can you keep me posted how it goes? And months later, she said, he's just beautifully integrated into the classroom because when you have the freedom of that idea that I might have an impulse to hit someone, but there is a place of choice called my hub. It's just obviously a visual metaphor, but and there's a mechanism we can talk about. But when you realize you have that choice, it changes everything. Yeah. Is this what you talk about when you talk about moving from a reactive state to a receptive one? Totally. Yeah. Could we share that? Because there's another example you give, and I think it's a really, really common one. A mother overwhelmed at home, children are running around, starts to turn on their children and then become angry with themselves because their reason for being is their children in a way. That's one. And you talk about the example of Mona, but I thought about another one, Dan, which I'm sure you see. And it's the idea of the corporate executive male, for example, and he is working really hard. His wife has decided to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mother, which is a great, great gift to give children. But he feels he can't then share his his work struggles or successes at home because she's dealing with the family. And she's kind of going, really, you had a bad day? I was minding the four kids today. And there becomes this kind of loneliness from the corporate executive because he can't share that. And he can't share it work because he's CEO or he's, he's a C-suite executive. I found this actually could be a solution for that very, very common issue. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, yeah, let's start with the basic idea you're bringing up, which I think is very, very relevant to the particular uh, challenge you're talking about. So the brain has two basic states. You know, One is called a receptive state, where you're open and present and able to be flexible and how you reflect on what's going on and how you interact with another person, let's say. Um, that's receptivity, that open state. The other basic state is called reactive. Uh, and it's when you're kind of on automatic pilot and you can go down several routes, but at least four of them are these four Fs. You can fight, you can flee, meaning run away. You can freeze, meaning tighten your muscles up and don't move, temporarily paralyzing yourself. Or you can faint, where you literally you just collapse. And so what we know is the state of being in a reactive state, like it would have been Billy, for example, hitting the other kid. He would have been kicked out of yet another school. Um, that reactive state is done without choice. And so when we're in reactive states, we don't really offer uh, the kinds of um, reflection and flexibility that a receptive state offers. 
So what that means then is anything that can bring you from reactivity to receptivity would make for a much more harmonious, obviously integrated response. You pull out of the rigidity or chaos that often accompany these um, states of reactivity. So in the case of the C-suite executive, you know, finding a way to work with a spouse, whichever one is, whichever gender, doesn't matter, but to find a way to both enter this hub of the wheel and to be able to say, you know, the rim stuff of me being at home with four kids may have a certain quality to it of urgency and irritation and your experience, let's say, of success at work uh, is your rim stuff. Let's both find each other in our hubs so we can hear about each other's day. But if you're just lost in reactivity either way, you know, fun at home with kids playing, someone had a hard time at work, or someone had a great time at work and the kids are really giving you a rough time, it can go either way. You want to drop into your hub to receive the other person's stuff, whatever it is, you know, positive or negative. I love that. So you find common ground in the hub, essentially. The hub is literally, and, and you know, when you get into the mechanisms in the book, you see where that statement comes from. The hub is literally common ground. And it's also amazingly when you see the possible scientific mechanism beneath the metaphor of the wheel. Um, it's not only where we have common ground, but it's, it's also where other options of behavior and emotional reaction and thought and ideas and innovation actually rest. So when you can essentially drop into the hub, you're not only giving a pause between an impulse and an action like Billy showed us, but you're also literally dropping the mind into the space of mental processes where other choices that you wouldn't have had access to on the rim, other choices exist there. So you're pausing, you're having the subjective experience of being aware, and you're literally, in a mind mechanism point of view, placing yourself where other choices exist so you can choose from amongst them. That's fantastic. And Dan, how are you doing on time, by the way? Just to check in with you. I just probably need to leave in, uh, gosh, in about five minutes. Okay, perfect. And I'd love to have you back on the show and maybe with Tina to talk Excellent. about Whole Brain Child, because I think that's a gift that we can share with the world as well that you've brought into the world with Tina. It leads me to this question, which is, it's my children, my son, we have two boys, eight and five. And they will often say, I can't quieten my mind down. So they've been saying that for quite a while. But then when I read in your book, you define many, many aspects. And I love this about your writing. You ensure that the reader and your explanation, that we're on the same page all the time. You check in with the reader, which is fantastic. It leads me to this question, which is many of us think we are our thoughts or we think we're our mind. And it'd, great, it'd be great to hear from you with your cross-disciplinary excellence to hear what we actually are. What's the essence of us? Are we our thoughts? Are we our mind? Or what is the differentiator between us and them? Yes, yes. Well, you know, mind used as just rib points of thought lets us see how the, the idea of the wheel reveals the reality that we're more than our discursive mind. Let's use that term. You know, we're more than our thoughts, we're more than our emotions. You are more than just stuff on the rim. You also have this amazing thing called your hub, which is basically the source of being aware or conscious. 
So when people first realize this idea, it is transformative because even if a thought comes into mind, you know, that is they become aware of a thought, it doesn't mean that's the path they need to follow. They can drop into awareness, consider many different rim points, many different thoughts, emotions, memories, the meaning of what's happening, the context in which something's going on, you're coming home to your spouse and there's an irritation. And rather than just being reactive with your own thing, I'm really angry, you're irritated and developing more irritation, you actually have the opportunity to drop into the hub and say, I hear your anger, let me know more about that. Now, you may think that that's outrageous, it's impossible to do, but actually it's incredibly liberating because what it does is it empowers you to really not go into automatic pilot. It empowers you to realize you are more than just your discursive mind, just your thought patterns, your impulses. And in the end, for a relationship, it is so health-promoting to be able to sit in awareness and say, tell me more about that, even if someone's angry with you. And you're saying, I want to be receptive to what's going on. I want to really understand what's happening in your subjective life right now. It's the key to health for a relationship. It's the key to health for our individual lives that we feel felt by one another. And the amazing thing is when you deeply understand the hub through the Wheel of Awareness practice, you start to feel the reality that you are more than just your thoughts and the fullness of life that expands a sense of self, expands a sense of time, slows the aging process, all the positive health benefits. If someone said to you, I'm going to give you like a, a vitamin or a medication that's going to allow you to have these five molecular changes of health in your body, it's going to integrate your brain, and it's going to give you this feeling that, wow, I'm more than my thoughts, and there's this aliveness to every day where, you know, as John O'Donohue used to say, you know, every day is a miracle. And I can actually live where the ordinary becomes extraordinary. And I'm not just speaking like at the extremes. I'm saying when you do the wheel of awareness practice and come to realize that hub is this incredible source of light in your individual life and your relational life, it's just a gift that keeps on giving. And we learn we are more than just our thoughts and our discursive mind. You know, we are filled with all sorts of options we never actually knew we had until we paused, integrated our consciousness. And the wheel is one way to do that. What an amazing way to conclude today's show is done. Where can people find out more? Because I mentioned you're very generous with the gifts that you've brought into the world. You have them on your website. You share meditations, etc. But where's the best place to find out more about your work? Yeah, if you go to our website, drdansiegel.com, so it's D-R-D-A-N-S-I-E-G-E-L.com. There we have a whole bunch of free resources. You can do the Wheel of Awareness there. There's some fun videos, all sorts of hopefully useful things and a more extensive training, of course, if you want that. But you can, you can get all these basics of the wheel right there. Test it out to see how it is for you. And if it fits for you, like Aiden, it sounds like it is for you, you can see how powerful it is to bring it to your life. There's a lovely quote I'd love to finish on, Dan, that encapsulates, I think, the gift that you're bringing into the world. And it's by Blaise Pascal. You mentioned it in the book, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. So thank you, Dr. Dan Siegel, author of Aware, the Science and Practice of Presence, 
for bringing the ability to sit quietly in a room into our world. An honor. Thank you, Aidan. I'll look forward to our next conversation.